Okay. No hecklers encouraged and welcome back. You know, anybody. Okay. There's a heckle to hecklers. We have a great day. <coughs> like this, we're, we're um, going east and then south of Yerushalayim Yerush Kodesh. And um, we're, we're going to be... We're going north and then west. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. It's great. Uh, I really see all this amazing, amazing, uh, amazing that when we brainstorm what today would look like and we're trying to figure out a nice, nice muscle, which means uh, a path that we're going to go in today. Um, we didn't really uh, have in mind other things that other, other than it was to be nice this time of year, what people appreciate. What Akadosh Baruch Hu arranged for us was that we'll be p- passing by areas, significant areas, in which this week's Torah portion take place. So that's like you can't like plan such a thing. That just that just works out gorgeously, and uh, I hope to point them out on the way. We are today. We are we're being driven. We have a nice spacious bus, not a lot of elbow room. We have a driver named Yaakov. Yaakov Mevata. 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 Yaakov. Mevata. Yaakov. Just north of Yerushalayim. Uh, Mevata. 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 And the and we're going for another month or so. Oh, ah, we're having a Shabbaton in the You will go there. Oh, sure. Rav Leisher, Rav Leiber, right? Bigger bunny, Rav Sayer. Yeah. And our is right next to Tel Tzion. Uh, and uh, Psagot from Psagot, maybe we went. I think we went. Shana Gimel. Anybody Shana Gimel here? I think we went. We went and we did it. What's called a Tetzpit, an overlook, looking into modern-day Ramallah, which is a big old city. And I realized it. The supposedly the projected is the capital of the Palestinian Authority, and um, and um, that's Ramallah. And just in a little empty mountain south of the big metropolis of Ramallah is an empty abandoned field field like mountain an open open plain of a mountain and um, it's identified I think reasonably the Arabs call it in Nisbe it's identified as Tel Mitzpah Mitzpah meaning a biblically important site it was the home of none other than Shmuel Hanavi and uh, in fact Shmuel Hanavi Street Theoretically, if you set out on it, Shmuel Street is behind us, right? And and uh, you can look, right? look out, look at your window to your left, and you see Shmuel Navi neighborhood. Um, because if you were to walk due north, which is also to your left, you'd eventually get to Mitzpah and the other places where Shmuel Navi uh, spent much of his life. And um, it was the home of Gedalia Ben Achikam, who we fasted for uh, over a month ago, and uh, other other really important stories that took place there. Um, so we're gonna we're, we're we're heading out towards the Dead Sea, and we're gonna be seeing Niflaos uh, Sabora. It's a nice day. Um, our, our overview, the plan for the day is to uh, is to go down. We're we're going way south south of the Dead Sea into a hike called Ein Tamar Nachal Tamar. And um, as as I, I described it after Mincha and after Shachris today, it's a hike. 
Like it's uh, so that's why you must have real shoes to go on the hike. Oh, if you look to the left, there's Shivas Arsameh, legendary. Oh, oh, legendary Arsameh. Ars- <laughs> what a beautiful <laughs> building. Does anybody else have a feeling we're going in circles today? <laughs> yeah. The water one? No, no water on this the site. The latter one. Uh, no, the former. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Oh, 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 oh. Stop me a second, also. Yeah. <laughs> he said the latter one. I said no, the former. Um, so does the water. We'll be seeing a load of things from this week's power show. Shana Base might recall this as the aborted attempt of a hike last year when we were trying to go up and all the seminary girls were coming down and they just there were just more seminary girls than uh, we could ta- we could tolerate. So we we left there and we did a different hike. Um, but now we got a little smarter, and we're going to start in a different, different uh, point um, that's less commonly uh, done, and it's a longer hike, nicer, nicer hike, and we'll end it by the ladders. We'll go spikes and ladders and other kinds of challenges on this hike. Spikes and ladders. We're going to have a little nosh before the hike. The thinking is, you really shouldn't fill up too much when you're do, about, to, about to set out and doing something athletic. Um, and then we'll have lunch after the hike, and then head to the Dead Sea, and then back in time for dinner. Dots today, a beautiful, beautiful day. Zachina, we were fortunate to be able to anytime. I don't know if you feel this. I, I, it's the how how majestic it is that we can go out and see Eretz Yisrael. We have a fun day, right? We, we have a, a great old time. Get together, get to know each other better, and at the same time, walk in the footsteps, quite literally, of the Avos Hakadoshim today. So that's how that's how you should you should regard this. You have an immense gratitude to Hashem for uh, for enabling us to do something that our ancestors. Certainly, we're deprived of. You're looking at Ammunition Hill, arguably to the left. We haven't really. A couple of you have gone with come with me. It's arguably the most important battle site of the Six Day War. It took place right there, right in our backyard. Uh, if you haven't been there, it's worthwhile going. Uh, they have. If you go on your own, um, they have to pay something. It's not so expensive for, as far as museum goes. Goes. If you and if you go and see the movie, the movie, the default movie they'll put on for you is propaganda and not very good. Um, you have to ask for it, but it's really worth it. Who was with me? Who came with me? Uh, to, that was the yeah. first day, right? Yeah, it was like one of the first first few names. So it's really worthwhile. They they tell you they, they map out through news footage and 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 uh, and they have, they have a three dimensional map that they uh, that they that they point out how how Yushalayim looks like it does today, which is endlessly confusing. Anybody get lost in Yushalayim? You're in good company, right? So so um, and there's a reason for it, and part of it has to do with the wars, and they walk you through what's called the War of Independence. <laughs> and again, it's the Six-Day War, uh, and, um, and very dramatic, and you start to realize, whoa, this is not a given that we get to be in Yerushalayim, Hashem, that we're here. Uh, this is an area that today is called Mount Scopus. Hebrew University is just up there. Uh, it actually is all part of Harazasim. We're crossing through. Yeah, took the, uh, yeah right. uh, look to the right really soon. You're about to see a tacky golden dome. <laughs> Unfortunate that thing's there because, according to most poskim, it is the exact location where the world was created, where the where Shlomo built the first base of Mikdash. There it is. Where the second base of Mikdash, Shivat Sion, they built they, was built there. Where the third base of Mikdash will be rebuilt. It was from this view right above us that I was zocha to uh, marry a very lovely, young, lovely young lady. Almost 32 years ago, got married right there, looking in. And this, this mom is this view. Yeah, there you have it. Evan Shasia. Wow. <coughs> Next week's parsha, Avram is about to bring Yitzchak there for the Akeda. She was shaming Aver. 
this week's parsha, Malkit Tzedek, comes out from there and greets uh, greets Avram and blesses Hashem Lekel Elyon, uh, the Almighty Power, as the Ramban holds it. Not that there are no other gods, but there are, Hashem creates other forces in the world, and He's the He's the supreme reign. He reigns over all other forces in the world. What did a kind God will do back then? Uh, what, 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 what was he doing? And how was he a Kohen if he wasn't descended from Aaron? But he was called a Kohen. And the Chazal identify Malkit Tzedek as being Shem, none other than Shem, the son of Noach. Who's, reading, who's uh, hands up? Who's, who's learning Parsha? High and proud. Kolakavod. You're enriching your life by doing so. You're also fulfilling a mitzvah. This is the Rabbanon of Shnai Mikre the Chatargu. One of those mitzvahs that pays off dividends, Olam Haba, and certainly Olam Hazen. You, 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 you get immersed in. Uh, I was thinking of this as I was learning Shnai Mikra. You know, every year you come back to it. I remember. Um, it's like you're greeting old friends, family. You know, oh, Avram, I get to, I get to hang out with Avram this week's Parsha. Right? One, I, I was on a plane and a secular Israeli lady was, was uh, sitting near me and she saw I was doing my Shnai Mikra on a plane once. And she said, she looked at me, you know, Israelis are beautifully dukery, very blunt. And she says, don't you get bored? I mean, come on, every year the same story. Don't you know how it comes out? <laughs> and uh, I tried to explain. Oh, well, there's a lot you could answer that kind of a question, but um, we know Torah is endlessly de- deep, broad, uh, profound in ways that you're always rediscovering. And, and another insight that I had just now was like you, you, you're, you get closer every year to the Albus Kedoshim. They become part of your life. They're not just these theoretical abstract figures. They're real. They're tangible. They're wonderful Mido start to make an impression on you. It's like coming home after being away for a year. Oh, oh Rebbe also says it's like coming home after being away. You come back into the bosom, you know, your mom gives you a big bear hug and makes your favorite uh, you know, brownies. We've just, if you've noticed, we emerged from the uh, tunnel and we're suddenly in the Judean desert that was not that long ago. Uh, some of us old-timers will remember that this was a mostly empty, barren area that's been built up because it's part of the geopolitical land grab. Uh, every uh, this is uh, especially the area around Yerushalayim is hotly contested. Jews wanted, Arabs wanted, and so wherever you can, uh, you know, put up a house. What do you? Where is that? It's an Arab. It's an Arab village that wasn't there ten years ago. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Land grab. If you can place, because that's how it works sometimes. If you can somehow create a fact on the ground, and if you remember um, uh, when we went to near David, so they I built the the, the, uh, the 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 tower, stockade and tower. Uh, right, they I just create a fact in the ground. Those are Jews over there. Those are Jews over there. That's Male Adumim, one of the largest of the Jewish uh, Yishuvim. What by the left wingers called the settlements, by the right wingers called the uh, their home, and um, probably to be enlarged by the uh, imminent new government that's uh, that's about to be created as the elections just uh, wrapped up. If your ears are a popping, that's because we are um, declining dramatically. We're going from one of the higher points, the highest point in Eretz Yisrael. What do you know? Highest point in Eretz Yisrael is um, the area called Mount Hermon. It's not a mountain, it's really an entire range, a whole region that goes into Lebanon and Syria, but that's the highest point. In this region, the highest point is Chalhul, the area of Hebron. But Yushalayim is about, on the highest point, 982 meters above sea level. And we're descending to the lowest point on Earth. To in its lowest point, it's 432 meters below sea level. The lowest road on Earth. There are a lot of superlatives today. We're going to the biggest, lowest, mostest, uh, funnest. Uh, so if we're going to the lowest point on Earth, so your ears would reasonably be popping right now. What do you just point to? Any other question? I love M.A. I love M.A. Probably Male Adumim. Male Adumim was, uh, was Elisha Navi came here with Eliyahu Navi. Mordechai Altman. 
Um, this is the root of the um, Sir, Sir La Azazel, the scapegoat on its root on Yom Kippur, with the Ish Iti, not the slow man, but the man of the moment. <laughs> okay. And I do love M.A. Yeah. Um, you see all that trees. These are some of the few trees in Eretz Yisrael that were planted actually between 40 and 67 by the... <laughs> Not a chance. Jordanians. This is all This is all East Jerusalem before 64. No, no, not these ones. Not these ones. These are among the few that... that, that uh, if, you, if you've been to Frat before, south of Yerushalayim, there are a few trees like this too. Jordanians planted, but they didn't do all that much more while they were in Eretz Yisrael. Meanwhile, the Jews, the, your JNF blue box in your kitchen. Uh, here's a statistic that uh, that you could you could say loud and proud. Um, the, the the state of or the country of Israel, Eretz Israel, like Kedusha, um, is the is the only country in the world that ended the 20th century with more trees than it began with. And everywhere else in the world, they're deforesting. They're cutting down trees to make room for uh, for for pastures so that your cattle can graze and, and then check the cattle and, and, and eat hamburgers and feed your fast, fast food diet. Um, and Aaron's show they're planting trees, right? Because we're looking we're looking uh, to the future. Blessed Lovo. And a couple of has got it all worked out. This is going to be one big old gorgeous land, right? Coming soon. It's JNF. Jewish National Fund is what JNF stands for. A non-religious organization. Uh, involved with the, the, the fingers and lots of pies to do a lot of things, but among the things was to uh, plant forests. You could, you could, de- you could donate. You know, the whole story. You could donate just, uh, you know, two hundred thousand dollars, and you get your own forest named after you. Um, and when you come, they put up the sign that says the Balsam Forest. And then when, um, and when the Drattlers come, they take down the Balsam sign and they the Drattler National Forest. <laughs> the problem is when the Balsam and the Drattlers come together. Right. right. That's <laughs> really, it's really awkward. Really awkward. Wait, they're coming. The Drattlers are coming. No, quick. Yeah. Right forest. A little softer, Mordechai, I almost hear you. I, I didn't hear the punchline. Um, thanks for the, um, the comforting thought. What's happening there is killing us um, anytime, anywhere, right? Um, in Seattle, in, in Boca Raton, right? You diving this morning? Right? You're at, you're at Tzitzit? Okay? Uh, you're in better shape if you do. Right, these are the guardians, as Chazal referred to them. They take care of us. They say tefillas, but say tefillas derech. Right, that's what—that's another thing, right? Um, tefillas derech better not done on a microphone. Uh, better with a real human voice. If somebody's being motzi, you, as I always announce this, um, it's better to say as a tefillah, actually with tefillas derech, to say your own. But if you don't want to, somebody's going to get up and volunteer to say it nice and loud and loud and clear. Uh, David is our man. And um, and you can answer Amen or say it along in unison, or you can borrow mine if you want. No, but nice and loud. No, 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 nice and loud. Scream it to the heavens. He wrote so. <laughs> the region is. If you're picturing this, we've kind of gone east of Yerushalayim, Mount of Olives behind us. Um, but this whole area is moving north of Yerushalaym. So many Gishmak things are there. We had the uh, luxury of being able to go there. Uh, the other Kevin Rochel is there, possibly. The uh, we described the Sagot is there. Neveyakov. Good Samaritan. Oh, the end of the Good Samaritan, a Christian invention. There's no, there's this, this just a Christian. They uh, actually an anti-Semitic tirade in the in their so-called New Testament. You know, you shouldn't really use that phrase because it implies that there's a new one or an old. You can't even say Old Testament implies there's a new. There's only one Testament that's called the Tanakh. And um, anyway, in their so-called New Testament, they have a whole story that's meant to make the Jews look bad. 
guy's starving and, and, and dying of thirst, and nobody will help him. He asks the Cohen, no. He asks the lady, uh -uh. He asks the Israel, nothing doing. And finally, he gets to a lowly Shomroni. Shomroni is a Samaritan or a Kuti. Um, some of us visited them in Hagrizim. They, they, that's where they. That's where they are today. Uh, and he's uh, that was a symbol of, of like really low life. At least in the in the racist terms of the New Testament, um, that's right. The Christians are racist. Um, the lowly Shomroni, he came by and he had the decency and the good sense to help the poor guy. So you see what it is. You know those Jews are good for nothing, and even a Shomroni knew to do the right thing. So what's that? People live there in those shanty towns. Yeah, not. I mean, they're they're a uh, dying breed, decreasing decreasing um, regularity that people live like this. Um, in the Negev area, the Bedouin have become urbanized. They they move to the big city. They get houses. Um, grandma's not happy with modernity, so often in the backyard they'll pitch a tent and she'll live there. But uh, yeah, we've had we've had I mean, a mixed history with the Bedouin. They're 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 dangerous. They they're they're marauders. They're they've been violent in history. It was the reason why it was so hard. Some good ones Anybody? and bad ones. Oh, very good. Right, 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 right. They're good ones and bad ones. Uh, <laughs> these are Bedouin camps, correct. So the Bedouins, the Bedouins, marauded, who's on the tour on Shabbos? Remember, remember the night we went down and I showed you the first settlement outside the uh, the city of, of Yerushalayim, Mishkanah Shananim, with the windmill, Montefiore's windmill? Um, remember I said that they couldn't persuade the Jews to live there in the early years because they were terrified. Part of their terror was outside the city walls there were roaming Bedouin, that they that they, they, they felt insecure. Mitzpah Yericho is a Jewish settlement with a uh, mayor whose husband was my student. Uh, in Sarnav Sion in the mid-90s, Uri Pilachowski, some of you know Rabbi Pilachowski. Yeah, yeah. yeah from, uh, from Florida originally, NCSY and other things. He's, he, um, and his wife, uh, Rebbe Sinalisa Pilachowski, is the mayor of Mitzvah Yericho. Interesting. Uh, and uh, it's a mixed community. Um, they have Ashkenazi and Sephardi. And um, they also have religious people and secular people. Interesting kind of a phenomenon. Not always simple and easy to, to, to get away with such a thing. And uh, you see, what do you see from Mitzvah Yericho? It's a trick question. What do you see? What does Mitzvah mean? To view, to see. What do you see from Mitzvah Yericho? Yericho. Okay. Some of you are paying attention. Very good. Uh, you know the story of Yericho? You know about it? You heard about this before? How loud? Yeah, well, that's one. Um, how's your Hebrew? Anybody got to speak some Hebrew here? You know some Tanakh? Sani, you know some Tanakh? No? Any, any Bible here? How about a lesson? We do a little Tanakh, because we rarely do that in Derech. Some of us are learning Mishle, but uh, not so much Tanakh going on. A little, little Sefer Yoshua in, in a synopsis. And hey, I've done a little too much talking for today. How about a little musical accompaniment here? Should we try? <coughs> We're about to pass Yericho uh, as, we, as we hit the low plains uh, from, coming from Mitzvah Yericho. And the story of Yericho and Yoshua's entry into Eretz Israel goes a little something like this. Vayehi Yaharemot Moshe Bamidbar Vayikra Elokim Vyoshua Vayomar Umavorima Amesayar De Nella Aretz Asher Anohi No Sei Yom Bom 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 Kol Makom Ashedi Drakav Raglehem Ka Ashedi Bati Desati Vachem 
Chazake ve'emaz Ve'al te'chaz Ki l'cha ha'aretz Azos ha'echaz Yom bom 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 So geres v'pli b'nei Yisrael Va'yishu ha'kohanim Es keren ha'yovel Ve'ha'amelas Soves ha'choma yotzim V'nei r'uvein V'gachal u'tzim Yom bom 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 Vayariya ha'shofar Jeruwa gedola Ha'chomas yericho Tachteh ha'nafela Chazake ve'ematz Ve'al te'chaz Ki l'cha ha'aretz Azos ha'echaz Yom bom 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 Vayikatsu malachei ha'emori ve'imam Amrav kachol asher asfas ha'yam Vayavoh aleyhem Yehoshua pitom Vayomar b'gihon la'shem eshtom Sun says still Yom bom 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 Vyarech omade emek ha'yalon Vayidusho malchei Lachish ve'eglon Chazake ve'ematz Ve'al te'chaz Ki l'cha ha'aretz Azos ha'echaz Yom bom 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 Shomron, yam bom 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 Vesmelech Horma, Vesmelech Arad Kol Amelachim, Shloshim Vechad Chazake ve'ematz, ve'al te'chas Kilcha ha'aretz azos ha'echas That is an old, is the old style Woo! founders of the Zionist movement, Israelis, actually claim to love the Tanakh. And they walked around here to Israel, sadly, without kippahs, without being Shomer Shabbos, but they carried a Tanakh in hand. Because they held at least something, they held it was part of their heritage, and they knew it, because they were all, most of them were from the yeshiva, right? Uh, you know, David Green. Got David Green in Yeshiva, you know David Green was in the state. He changed his name. He uh, he made it all sound like a historical figure. Changed it to Ben Gurion, right? Golda Meyerson, right? They all they all uh, Hebraicized their names and uh, right secularized their. Ben Gurion was David Green. David Green, I know. It sounds so unromantic, you know. What? Ben Gurion, yeah. Uh, ben Gurion was a was one of the one of the. Oh, there's Yericho. There's the modern city of Yericho, and you can see relics um, excavated by the British anti-Semite Kathleen Canyon. Uh, that are in the Tel Yericho, the date back of the oldest continually, continuously functioning city in the world. Yericho, right over there. Um, for anybody, anybody not understand all those Hebrew words that I just sang, you want a different English version of the story of Yericho? See, it goes a little something like this. Some of you can accompany me, I think. See, you can talk about your kings of Gideon, you can talk about your man of Saul, but there's a nun like good old Joshua at the Battle of Jericho. That morning, Joshua at the Battle of Jericho, Jericho. Jericho, oh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls are come tumbling down. Right up to the walls of Jericho, he marched with spear in hand. Oh, blow that ram, oh, Joshua, 
the crowd called the battle amp in my hand. And then the lamb ram sheep on begin to blow and the trumpets begin to sound. Joshua commanded the children to shout. And the walls are coming tumbling down. Salt Lake 
of Salt Lake City, Utah is actually a little bit more saline, but it's plenty saline. Where the average water in the ocean is something like, I think, it, I think it, the statistic is it's 3.2% salinity. Um, this is um, like 32% salinity. Um, and it's not just salt. The, the, the Dead Sea has a lot of very valuable chemicals. Um, the, the three major chemicals that they that they have that they actually built they initially built in the, in the early 20th century a whole Dead Sea works here in the northern area of the Dead Sea. A uh, brilliant guy um, from from Russia came and, and had this whole idea that he would farm chemicals from the Dead Sea, specifically potassium, magnesium, and bromine. And they made a fortune. They continue to do so today. Today, if you pay attention, half you're going to be sleeping by this point. But on the south area of the Dead Sea, they moved it south when this area fell to Jordan after the War of Independence. So they moved the whole Dead Sea works south, and there it remains till today. And we'll pass it. And um, and that they, they still farm all these all these very valuable chemicals and make a fortune. Uh, the major families, um, most of them, don't even live in Eretz Israel anymore. They've been either they're Yontim, as they call them. They they they're traitors to the cause. They they live. To live. Uh, there's one family living on the in the French Riviera, Riviera, and uh, making a fortune. The um, their complaints also that they're doing damage by to, to the Dead Sea by, by farming the, uh, the the chemicals. Um, they're doing far more spiritual damage because the operation is so expensive to run. They keep it open 636, 364 days a year. Uh, they close it on Yom Kippur. You know, at least that there's some pithaliyah going on somewhere in somebody that they close it at least that day, but they don't close it on Shabbos. So the um, they talk about the ecological damage, how about the spiritual damage to Eretz Yisrael from having this, this official institutionalized little Shabbos? Uh, terrible, terrible damage. Uh, but all this, uh, much of this area was filled in with water, and it's gone. Um, there have been other times in history that the Dead Sea was an endangered species, and it has come back. Um, it was, um, you know, in this week's parsha, we read about this Chazal and Sanhedrin talk about this entire region was lush, which means green and beautiful. Actually, no more fertile area in the world. Look around. It doesn't feel like it today. The, um, the Sodomites, the, the Stomim, people from Stom, have very unique uh, kind of evil. They're they're from Canaan, but their their evil is. Uh, is, is, is notorious and famous. Um, they they um, resented any guests. When Lot in this week's parsha goes to live there, he he had Avram rubbed up on him. Lot Lot did Achnas's orchim. He had that inclination. That's why next week's parsha he takes in the angels, thinking that they're they're the travelers. But that was illegal. You're not allowed to take in guests because they saw competition. So no, we we won our. Even though they were sticking rich, they had more uh, produce, more more valuables, more property that they knew what to do with. But they wanted it for themselves. That was the call. That's called the Midas Stone. Chazal and Perkyabas rail against what's called Midas Stone. Mine, like little kids in a sandbox. Mine, I want it for myself. They have all kinds of crazy rules in stone. If somebody hits you and they take you to court, and, and, and then the, the, the victim takes the aggressor to court, how did they, how did they pass him? The Shaila? <laughs> the victim has to pay the aggressor. That's how they worked it in stone. Everything was backwards, that's morally. So dumb. So dumb. That's good. I didn't hear that before. That's great. Well, wasn't there a story with the rally? You know, I, I, you'd have to open a Gomorrah to get that kind of a joke. There was a story with the rally. Yeah. Well, what was Gomorrah? How come they don't have anything? Oh, so let me just finish off this thought. So Eliezer, who we meet in this week's parsha, domestic Eliezer. That's the only time he's called that name. Um, uh, uh, doesn't want him to inherit his uh, his, his legacy. 
Um, but Eliezer, who's absorbed the goodness of Avram's house and himself, has become a tzaddik through his exposure to Avram. He comes to stone, and the guy comes over and hits him. And he uh, and Eliezer's shocked and outraged and injured, and so he takes him to court, to a local court in stone. And the judge hears the case, and due to their law, he said, "Okay, you pay your aggressor. You got you pay the guy who hits you a hundred zoos." And Eliezer says, "Hi, my, you know what is this? You know, why, why would I pay him? He, he hurt me." And they explain this is the way it goes in stone. So, um, so Eliezer, being Avram's uh, servant, was of course brilliant too. So he takes his shoe and he smacks the judge in the face. And the judge says, "Hi, my, what's this?" And um, Eliezer says. Um, you owe me a hundred zoos. Just pay him. We'll be, we'll be, we'll be even. Follow? Well, why would? How could they? Who who would like think of setting up a system like that? Stop being logical, Rabbi Balsam. No, but I mean, there well, weren't. There weren't. It wasn't a city of stupid people. It wasn't backwards land. They were anti-morality. They were anti-goodness. And the famous, infamous story about the girl who uh, who committed a felony. You know what she did? A little girl saw a poor man, and she gave him some of her bread. And they tried her. It was a capital offense. She was Chayavis Misa of the most sordid kind. They smeared her body with honey and fed her to the bees. Right? So that's that, that's how it was. They, were, they, they celebrated immorality. That's what Chazala trying to convey it to Hitler us. Hitler also did. You know, to, 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 to do they, that, not to keep all the resources in Saddam, that makes sense. Don't uh-huh. do any business, don't invite anyone, and they'll yeah, steal right. all of our, our resources. But why would they make someone pay for getting hurt? Just, How does that help in any way? You should have come to court and complain about it. It's bloodletting. Yeah, right? You, you um, don't encourage anti-morality. So that means don't come to the court. What are the, what's the advantage of no morality? Because then you're never doing anything wrong. Or you do whatever your heart wants. You bug water. They have it blocked off, and they don't want stray swimmers going in here. Um, you could drown in the Dead Sea. Counterintuitive though that may sound, you could drown. How can you drown in the Dead Sea? Drowning is not necessarily when you sink. I mean, it is also, but it's not necessarily when you sink. Drowning. Anybody do a first aid kit? You know this, Mordechai. Drowning just is when your um, very delicate water equilibrium is thrown off in your body, and when you have more water in your lungs than, than you should, um, a person can simply drown. And so a person goes face down. That's why you should never dunk your head in the Dead Sea. A person goes face down in the Dead Sea. He could he could um, take in in the wrong into the wrong part of his body into the lung area uh, some of the water and drown. Um, and they don't want swimmers here because they're they're, they're concerned that, that irresponsible people without lifeguards might might do exactly that. So nature, it's interesting, nature reserving Feshcha, uh, really fun hike coming up that we did years ago. I don't think you came on it. Did you ever did you go on um, the Darcha ever? It's a hard hike. It's a very hard hike. Today, today's a little challenging. This one is like a Zunta hike. Um, you have to, it's really, it's very hard. There's, there's an upper Darcha, it's a little challenging, but like doable. Then there's what they call the lower Darcha. Where you, I think I just told about this. Some some shear that I just gave, I just said this over. Where you go to the very top, the very entrance to the hike. You go to the very top, and you sort of go down. Go to the top of one of these mountains, and you go down. Uh, at the very top, there are not one, two, or three. There are about five or six andartas monuments to the various people who died doing the darja. And one of the inscriptions said, uh, he, "He was a great seasoned hiker. He loved adventure, and this was one adventure too many." I'm not looking for any reason. Um, okay. That's the darjah. Well, it involves going down either by rope or you just jump from one station to the next into the water. 
and um, that means that once what goes down can't come up again unless you have the rope that you tie, which you don't usually, because you're taking your rope with you, like you tie your right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> getting car sick, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the lower dark job. I'll warn you the next time we do that. We did. We passed another hard hike. We did this one. Um, Rabbi Lieber. Uh, of the Rebbe's who are here today, Rebbe Lieber was one of the other Reverend Steyer. Uh, we did this one, the the, uh, the whole Nahal Og, uh, which is a hard hike and steep and scary and dangerous. And I, I tried to screen it. I, I you know I put in the sign, hard, bring your machete, don't come if you're a wimp. And of course the reaction being guys, everybody said, all right, yeah, all right. Um, and then when we were actually out on the hike in the really dicey parts, the guys, they said their, their voice went up several octaves. Oh, this is so hard, I can't do this. <laughs> Mommy. <laughs> Dara. Uh, <laughs> Making boys and men. <laughs> boys and men. <laughs> the uh, arguably greatest archaeological discovery of the 20th century was coming up to your right in the caves around here. 14 of these caves they oh, discovered. Dead Sea Scrolls. Can you see it from here? Pretty fat, yeah, yeah. When you see Qumran, that's where the museum is. We've gone sometimes, usually not, but uh, really interesting. Uh, it's Jews don't go. The place is crawling with Christians, unfortunately. Uh, why are the Christians fascinated with the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Dead Sea Scrolls, nothing like it. Um, they, you ever do at camp, um, what are these... Uh, time capsules where you write a bunch of notes to campers in 20 years from now and then they, 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 they bury it in the ground to be excavated 20 years and then oh wow that's what they were thinking in the, uh, 20 years ago um, this is 2,000 years and it included um, the oldest known well among the oldest known pieces of the Tanakh from virtually every Sefer in the Tanakh including a complete Sefer Yeshaya you can see in the Israel Museum today actually you get used to the copy but the, music, the actual original one is there also and um, they have they have about 90, 982 scrolls that are real. They have what's the most famous, the Copper Scroll, which is a treasure treasure map. People try to follow the scroll to find all the treasures, maybe from uh, stolen Kaelin from the base of Mikdash. Uh, all kinds of, and then, and then of course the rules of the sect that lived there, possibly the Essenes, who were uh, renegade Jews, from or the now Jews. You ever meet from or the now Jews? They're so from they know better than the Dolim how to how to keep Torah. You know the such things? Anybody associated with Notary Karta, maybe? Um, yeah, and other groups, too. Anyway, uh, that was them. So why and the they, Christians and not Jews? What, why the Christians and not Jews? That was the question I posed before, as I first had to define what are the Dead Sea Scrolls. So this is a document of life for Jews in a very critical time in history, um, really that covers uh, over 2,000 years ago and then a little bit after that. Really detailed, fascinating. Um, and... Um, the Christians, and especially the Christian scholars, uh, sounds like an oxymoron, but it really is such a concept. Um, Christian scholars are deeply aware of just how, how to put this gently, ridiculous their whole religion is. And among other things, they have no source. Right? Um, all they have is their own writings, the New Testament, that made up this guy who was Mashiach, who even in his lifetime never claimed to be. They, they, they promoted him after he died. Oh yeah, that was Mashiach. We'll put this one over. And they're deeply aware of just how illegitimate the whole thing is. Chazal, if you know the fragmented sections in the in the Gemara, that he they, himself is illegitimate. Absolutely, in many ways, right? From the <laughs> Virgin Mary, um, and um, as as Chazal say, right? They, they tell a very different story, and um, 
they just, they're, they're, they're like a little insecure and self, self-conscious. That's why they hate the Jews so much and they persecuted us because they know that, why are we still Jewish? Maybe we're right and they're wrong. Oh no, can't be. They're going to beat us up. And, um, and so they don't have any source, primary source material for anything. They have nothing to corroborate their view. Josephus, who is the great historian of this entire period, mentions Jesus and Christianity and the saving of the world. You'd think if he covered the historical period, that would make uh, that would that would make a major chapter. How many times does he refer to, um, to Yashka, Jesus Christ? Never. Never. Well, except if you count the one time where he has this line where he says, uh, "There was a man. If you can call him a man, he was Yeshu. He was the Savior. He was Christos in Greek, the Messiah." Uh, and he lived in Jerusalem. End of subject. That was it. And it was a forgery that an 8th eighth, eighth century bishop put into Josephus because he was really bothered by the omission of any mention of Jesus. I mean, you think if the Savior of the universe came and was reborn in human form and redeemed the world, it might at least be a footnote in the historical account. Wasn't he Jewish, Josephus? He was. So maybe he just didn't want to write it. Possibly. Uh, Rabbi, Rabbi Dani said maybe as a Jew he didn't want to write it. He was in Stuki, though, and he was, giving, he was trying to keep a complete account of everything going on in his days. He didn't even mention that there was a guy that was beaten up and, 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 and uh, martyred by the Romans. Not, you know, doesn't doesn't affect his narrative. Oh, but Sudukim don't like the Christians either. No, but it wasn't that they didn't like him. And it was it, 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 he, he describes all kinds of sects and groups that were that were crucified. Josephus talks about eight thousand Jews crucified on one day alone. So why wouldn't he mention? He was very thorough. Uh, again, a footnote, something. Yeah. How do we know that was added by um, so, yeah, good question. Do we know that for sure? No, but it's really compelling. First of all, um, Josephus never writes about Mashiach. His whole style is different. It's a very distinctive style. This line is written in a totally different style, um, and it came from one version of Yosefoy, not the others. So everything adds up, and, and they traced it back. Oh, yeah, there was a, there was a bishop who had the manuscripts. Yeah, well, Josephus is a really tricky document. Right? Not always reliable, even though Rashi refers to it. The Vilna Gon says you should learn history from it, understand the, the interdimensional the Chorba Mesa Mikdash. But as a, as a source, it's a spotty source, and Josephus himself was a Russian. So how do you trust a Russia, even though there are certain things that, that, that he conveys that seem to be legitimate and reliable? If you want to learn, uh, read a really good account of this, you'll learn Rev. Victor Miller's uh, summary of what how we relate to Josephus, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the um, so they, uh, the Christians love the Dead Sea Scrolls because how many times the Dead Sea Scrolls from the same time period do they mention Jesus? Zero. Well, so why do the Christians like it? Because a lot of the ideas of this sect living in the North Dead Sea um, sound Neoplatonic, sound very Christian. They're very listen to these ideas. They're very anti this world, right? Everything to this world is evil. Right? That's very Christian. Uh, get to a nunnery, you know, monks and, and nuns and such. Um, they don't like women. Very Christian. Very misogynist religion. Could, be the, could it be that they were influenced by Christians? It's entire, everything's possible. Everything's possible, but I'm, I'm just explaining why the Christian world today would be so intrigued by, by these documents that paint a very uh, strong picture. The Christians claim, for example, they see early uh, associations. They believe that um, what they call John Herc- um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, John, John the Baptist. Yochanan uh, Hamatabil. Amatabil means the one who dunks in the mikvah all the time, baptism. Yeah, so they believe that he was part of this sect. Do you know there's a, in, in the area of Iran today in Persia, um, there is a group that, that believes that John the Baptist was the real Mashiach. They follow him till today. Old Yashka was somebody, but anyway, so they build a whole to-do out of that, which somehow makes them feel better about themselves. So you see Christians when you go in there, Jews don't go there. A little perplexing why Jews don't go there. I mean, it's just not part of our narrative exactly. Um, and these guys, whoever lived there were Rosh Hashanah, but it's interesting. 
and it certainly comes to confirm a lot of what we already know is true. We don't need the oldest fragments of the Bible to to uh, confirm our belief that the Bible is authentic, but it sure is interesting. You can you can see a lot of them. Um, you can see them in the Israel Museum. There's a Rockefeller Museum in East Jerusalem. Uh, they had a bunch. The Jordanians are still suing the Israelis to get them back because they the Israelis won them by accident in the Six Day War. My parents just went to the Israeli Museum and they did, it wasn't there. Uh, um, you have to go to that strange white object. They, they lend them out. Does it make sense? Possibly. They said they weren't there. The, it's the original. They, but they have the replica. They have some of them. They have, they anything on display? They had replicas, yeah. Yeah. Why is there a um, so we just passed through um, what was what was called the border crossing from what's called the West Bank into Eretz Israel. Uh, the, the weird armistice borders that they drew up after, in 48 after the Six Day War, um, this part of the Dead Sea already was in the state of Israel. And we're about to pass the Kibbutz Ein Gedi, which was totally isolated. It was a Jewish, Jewish part of the country, Jewish land, but um, surrounded by Arabs in the north. The only, like the closest hospital, they had, to, they had to do a whole swoop around down to Beersheba or Tel Aviv. When the women were expecting, they had to live with their mothers in Tel Aviv for about three months before uh, before they gave birth because there was nothing out here. Anybody been to Kibbutz and Gedi? We'll pass in a few minutes. Something to put on your on your on your checklist of things to do. Uh, extraordinary place. It's secular kibbutz. Uh, they were lonely in the in the early fifties. Not much going on over here, and they got you know so Israelis are are. are um, Experiment with all kinds of things. They're, they're doers. They like to build. They like to create. So they, they started. Oh, this is but where the Darja comes out. Right above. This is uh, the end of that hike that I was describing. The Darja. Um, anyway, the Israelis started planting stuff, and they found. Wow, this is ideal climate and 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 terrain to, to, to have a garden. So they started really planting stuff, and everything thrived. And then it became a thing, and then it went out. Um, people knew it all around Eretz Yisrael. If you, got, if you find an exotic tree or bush or plant, bring it to Kibbutz Engedi. It'll thrive there. As people started doing that, today they have a botanical, botanical garden. Anybody been? It's really something to see. Ma Rabu Masech Hashem. How great your wonders are, Hashem. Um, the, the garden in, in Engedi that Shlomo talks about in Shir Shirim, actually you see in the botanical, botanical garden on the kibbutz, they have um, fauna from, flora, flora, excuse me, flora from six continents. I don't think they got from Antarctica. And from those exotic, far-begotten places in the world, that's gorgeous and interesting. And the success will be on their magic, their, their intention. They plant some trees that thrive so radically. They grew so exponentially. There's some eucalyptus trees there that actually destroyed the underground piping system in some of the houses. They, they're like, they're like bursting, bursting out. Why would anything grow here? Just rock and salty rock. Oh, so it's interesting. The, 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 no, in the in Gedi is an is an oasis, as it was in the Tanakh. So there was underground sweet water, and um and and so there is sweet water. You think it's a desert, but it's it, there is water right here. And actually, because of the dryness, the combination of the sweet water with the dryness makes things grow. Yeah, and. Possibly also, it's the lowest point of the, on the earth. The uh, damaging effects of the of the uh, depleted ozone layer don't don't reach here. There's all kinds of advantages uh, by being in, the, in this part of the world. People didn't realize. Did you ever go on an Engedi hike? Isn't there a nice hike? There are some nice hikes you can do on Engedi. Um, there's the there's what's the familiar kind of the family hike, Nachal David, where it's a problem because of Pritzos. So there's usually a lot of uh, women there. There's a, there's some nicer, harder hikes. There's something called. Um, what's it called? The, the, the name's it. What's it called? Arugot, Nachal Arugot, which is sort of in the south part of the, of the of Oasis. Yeah. Um, there are different hikes around there. 
This whole area has some beautiful areas you can hike in. Um, do you see the holes in the ground here? You know, the, the sinkholes, the bolanim? They're, um, they're an ecological hazard, something that started happening a couple decades ago. Um, you'll see we're gonna, there's going to be a whole detour because a sinkhole, which is a vacuous uh, um, area of air, just opened up underground and the whole road collapsed into the sinkhole. And um, it's destroyed um, resorts here and homes and uh, roads and is a problem and they didn't understand what it came from until they finally figured out it's the depleted Dead Sea as the Dead Sea recedes. Um, so nature pours a vacuum. So underground, there's all kinds of havoc, all kinds of damage that's happening underground. The water's also receding underground and it's filled in with the natural sweet water from the mountains. Um, but that throws everything off, off, off base and what happens in, in, in the chemical reaction is it creates these vacuums underground that eventually expand and open up in the darndest places and suddenly boom, the road collapses and such. You know what I'm talking about? Like in the middle of Engedi, suddenly you have to do this weird detour, make a make a right turn. We'll do it in in a moment, and that's because the uh, the sinkhole destroyed the road. Across the, uh, the the Dead Sea is today's Jordan, Hari Moab, Mounts of Moab. We passed the area where where um, that somewhere there Moshe Rabbeinu is buried in Har Navo. We don't know where. Pasuk says um, it's the tribes of. What's across the way? Whose tribes are those? Who lived in Averly Arden across the Jordan River? Oh, Reuven, God, and half of Menashe. Menashe would be in the far north. We looked at it when we went on the Jewel uh, uh, in Bashan. Um, what we call the Golan Heights today was Menashe. Uh, then God, um, somewhere here, somewhere along the way today, we passed from God into Reuven. This is probably Reuven's territory across the way. On this side of the Dead Sea, you have Yehuda. We're in, we're in, we're in Eretz Yehuda right here. Um, the biblical border of Eretz Yisrael includes the Dead Sea, so, though. Meiver the Ardain is just outside. And so by all accounts, where we are was Eretz Yisrael, Lodore Doros, for all generations. Dead Sea looks kind of big. I don't know. It's it is. receding and stuff. Well, it was much bigger. I mean, in my lifetime, I remember being uh, much, much, much more expansive. The price has gone down. <laughs> right? It's less expansive now. You're right. The price has gone down. Touche. Product of my, of my environment. <laughs> There's a ton more I can talk about, but people are starting to fall asleep totally reasonably. Uh, any questions, thoughts, sarcastic comments? Is there really nothing living in this sea? Uh, so can anything live in the Dead Sea? Because of the salt, because of the combination of chemicals, um, indeed nothing does live in the Dead Sea. So crabs or shrimps or anything, like funny little No, 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 no critters. No, not conducive to any kind of life form. Maybe the Shemesh Mal says it. says that nothing can live in the Dead Sea because every other sea... Oh, yeah. I don't remember who says it, but it could be the Shemesh Mal. Every body of water has life living in a coral or some sort of a life. The Yamamelech doesn't. Why not the Yamamelech? Because the Yamamelech doesn't feed into any other body of water. Mm. Only someone or something even Gibbs. who is a giver, who, who keeps other people alive will find life among, in themselves. In Chazal, the Dead Sea is the icon, is the symbol of um, utter destruction. So if you have 
Chometz and Pesach, or you have Chas Shalom idolatry, you don't have to, it's not enough just to distrust it, to, to, to destroy it, you have to pulverize it, turn it to powder, and scatter the powder to the Yamamelech, which is by which they say, you don't literally have to come down here and, and take the Yamamelech, but it's a way of saying it's gone, right, garnished, finished, right, that's the Dead Sea. Um, interesting then that the Navi Yechezkel has a line when he talks about uh, the Dead Sea in the end of days will turn to sweet water. So that what you say is going to be sweet subverted. Water. And go back to the original, if we described Stone and, and Gomorrah, and this whole area was once upon a time the most fertile, productive, lush, gorgeous part of their Israel and destroyed because of their sins. They wouldn't They wouldn't outsource They the, wouldn't outsource. They wouldn't give. Everybody's making all these connections here. They wouldn't give. That was the nature of stone. And so now bring it all home. Like when we bring Mashiach, what will, when will we be ready to bring Mashiach? Some of us are learning a little bit about Kabbalah in the afternoon shir. And we mentioned that, um, you know, from a Jewish perspective, certainly from a Kabbalistic perspective, most people in the world today wake up, when they wake up in the morning, they think, probably not consciously in so many crude terms, but they think, what can I get today? How can I manipulate the people in my life to give me stuff? What are my rights? What are my rights? Right? That's the, that's the nature of the world today, sadly, tragically. When people get up in, in the morning and start thinking, what can I give today? How can I help people? What kind of chesed can I do? Obligations. Right? So Mashiach is around the corner. Right? So then the Dead Sea is going to turn into the Sweet Water Sea. There's and there's going to be water. productivity and growth and life. Drinking water. Right. Salt, Rabbi Pitten points out, enhances, enhances. It's an obligation. Um, we have it on the on the mizbeach. You cannot bring a korban without salt. That's why. What's replaced the mizbeach since the the korban since the destruction of the temple? The table. That's why. You know the halacha. When you're eating a bread meal at a table, you're required to have salt on the table. And um, and not coincidentally, in next week's parsha, when Aishas Lot, when the wife of Lot mocks her husband, the Medrash says he put salt on the table because he did everything that Avram did. And Avram kept the halacha; he knew all the mitzvahs. He knew the Shulchan Aruch before it was written. And so he had salt on the table, and so did Lot. And Aishas Lot, the wife of Lot, looked at him and sarcastically said, "Oh, you do that ridiculous practice too." Well, it's not a good idea, bad practice, to make fun of a Kaddish Baruch or his mitzvahs. Mita um, connected Mita, measure for measure. Whatever happened to the wife of Lot? There she is. Oh, there she is. <laughs> she turned into a pillar of salt. Was it like a anybody in, in right, anybody salt, in Rebbe Bandage this uh, year? Right. You cheat. You cheat with your. You, you don't pay when you get on the uh, on the fast train. Right. What happens in the next life? In the next Gilgul? You come back as a Ravkov. Right, when this is turned into a pillar, did her body just turn into salt? Or just turned into a pillar. It, um, my my um, my Torah doesn't come with the cartoon version, so I'm not sure exactly how that manifests. Although I have to say, my favorite postcard of all time, I found it. I haven't been able to find it. It was when I was before I was from. It was my junior abroad when I was at Hebrew University in the in '86, and I found and it was priceless. A postcard. There was a picture somewhere here, very scenic, with like a, a lump of. Um, some kind of rock that looked maybe salty and then the caption said Lot's wife so I, in the days when we still sent postcards I bought a bunch of them and anybody know Gary Larson the far side yeah. a certain sense of humor that I, I appreciate so I, I bought, bought a bunch of them and then um, I wrote I added Lot's wife and then I drew on her some, a, a string of pearls and, uh, and a bracelet and springs and I wrote Lot's wife and some of her jewelry far side-esque I was very excited by it 
Uh, but like salt, pillow? salt is, is a big deal in the world. Um, it, it's um, it used to be you got paid not in not not by Bitcoin and not by credit card and not by check. You got paid in salt. That's why you're worth your weight in salt. That's why the word for mascorit in English is salary. Salary, which comes from salt, is the root in Latin words in all all related terms. Soldiers. Soldiers, which is the same route, also come from. We're turning here because that was the that was where the sinkhole destroyed the road right ahead of us. Wow. There's a medrash that says that the animals used to come and lick the the pillar of salt. Right. And beneath they would regenerate. Right. Right. Oh, right. There's a medrash that says that the animals used to come and lick the Lot's wife's salt pillar. And there's a miracle that it regenerated to, I guess, promulgate the nace. People should be able to see it. Yeah. Tour guides should have that forever. Yeah, right. Is it still around? The, uh... And the wannabe tour guides also are involved. Is it still around? Can you find it? No idea. I, I, I lost the postcard, so I can't tell you if it's still around. <laughs> That's Lotus Wife's you, you know, rock. Yeah, oh, yeah. These are these are from the Talmudic era. You can panic wow. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have mosaic floor... Uh, they, they talk about the treasure of Engedi. Uh, Jews were living here, even post Horban, post post Bar Kochva. Uh, people were living here into the Talmudic period. This kind of like this is like the end of the universe. So nobody came out. Even the Romans kind of like left them alone over here. People's perspective, but yeah, very very worthwhile visit if you ever come back here. Come to the um, Tel Engedi. Um, they have caves from the Bar Kochva era. They have people even were living here. No question. Um, the mosaic, yeah, talks about this treasure. Uh, maybe the uh, Afar Simone, which is a, a, a product that people translated as, as uh, persimmon, Afar Simone, or balsam. Right? Uh, but we really don't know what it is. A very, very prized commodity in this in this part of their Israel. Yes, yes. What's that? It's some kind of a fruit. Some kind of a fruit. But yeah, we're we're in the oasis of Engedi. David Melech. Right, David Melech in his in his fleeing from Shaul when Shaul went into his uh, mania and wanted to kill David. David ran all around the country with Shaul pursuing him. He comes famously. It's Eric Chafbeis in Shmuel Aleph. Uh, he comes famously here and he hides in a cave trying to get away from Shaul. Shaul, uh, Shaul goes into the cave to relieve himself. The Gemara Brachos says that Shaul was incredibly tzenua, very very modest individual. We should learn from. Uh, even when he relieved himself, he did so in the most modest way possible. As he was leaving the cave, David intentionally went over and very discreetly cut off the lower corner of his garment. And then he's about to depart, about to exit the cave, and David calls after him. And he says, very dramatic, and you know the same, very dramatic episode. And, and he says, he calls to him, and he says, he, he's very respectful after all, he's Melch Mashiach. Melch Mashiach means the anointed king, Shaul was. And he, he says, why do you pursue me? I, I, I don't mean anything. I'm not trying to subvert your rulership. And Shaul said, but, but I thought you wanted to kill me. And David holds up the corner of his garment and he said, look, I was close to you. I could have killed you. And this is to prove I have no ill intention. And for the moment then, Shaul is suddenly racked with grief and guilt. Feels terrible that the beloved is beloved. David used to come in and play music, beautiful music from his kinor uh, for Shaul, who got who got some relief from his his, his personal uh, sickness, his, his his mania, and now his heart breaks and he apologizes to David, 
and then he leaves the cave and he gets he gets he, he, he goes crazy again and then uh, re- resumes pursuing David. He's not in control of himself, it seems. Uh, David later in life, have you gotten to this yet? Israel, you're learning, you're, you started Malachim? The beginning of Sefer Malachim, we find David in a strange state. What's happening with David? He's freezing and nothing can give him comfort. They give him clothes and and thermal underwear and, and the quilts and everything. Nothing keeps him warm and they have to send in the Abishag and bring. Nothing keeps him warm. Why? Because I'll say he was punished. Because he got the coat of the Mashiach Hashem, of the anointed of Hashem, and now the coats, the clothing that he, he abused of the king, as it were. Uh, you know, is not are not are not helping him anymore. Won't, won't, won't give him comfort from his uh, from his from the cold. So what? She so asked if David Melech cut the coat. Lashem Shemaim, it seemed, you know, to, to try to show Shaul that he was had no bad bad uh, in, intention. So why is he punished for this? So we see, and this is a constant pattern we see throughout the Tanakh. Hashem expects more from his from the tzaddikim. You're a tzaddik. You have to you have to do everything just right, and that was considered not just right. Why does she keep him warm then? How is that like only clothes wouldn't keep him warm? Like, what's the exception? Clothing didn't work anymore. You need to bring in Abishag and Shunamis. Um, I, I said before I was going to stop talking. Sorry, I, I know for some of, some of you it gets it gets long, but there's you can say I'm very enthusiastic about this. I'd probably give that over to you. You should you should feel how geschmack Eretz Yisrael is and what a schluss it is. Uh, that's really why I keep prattling on. But um, I'll, I'll stop. We passed. We passed. The rub. It's all the rub. Find his uh, dentures. So he asked his gabai. Can you all hear I repeat them? I'll repeat. There was a rabbi who couldn't find his dentures. Right, so he goes to his gabai and he says, Bring me my dentures. I can't speak. <laughs> he goes, Bring me my dentures. I can't speak. I need my dentures. So the gabai ran back home and he got his dentures for the rabbi. So the guy gets, gets the rabbi's dentures. And he puts them in and he starts speaking. And he talks 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 and <laughs> they asked the Gabba, he said, what happened? And he said, you brought me my wife's teeth. Um, soon, <laughs> probably after I'm going to stop. Grasshopper noise? You get the grasshopper noise? No, you don't. Okay. Any other strange noises people can make? <laughs> Now's your opportunity. That was a grasshopper noise brought to you by Rabbi Balsam. Ooh, that was good, Mordechai. Wow. Very, very, very impressive. Come on, we got, some, we got some strange talents on this one. <laughs> Let's go, guys. Elephant. Elephant. That was the elephant. Very good. What do we got here? Yeah, Donnie's gonna, Donnie's gonna change. Oh.
Okay, Rabbi Sai. You ready? Na 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 na. The front row, please. Yeah, come, come, come. Na na. Most visited paid site near Israel, bar none. Like no, no close competition. Masda. Right? Masada. Bar Ilan Pizza. Bar Ilan Pizza. Right? Binyako. Yeah, Masada. Masada. Masada is a pretty impressive site. Who's who's not been to Masada? A few of you. Okay. Um, it's interesting. I love guiding there because it raises all kinds of interesting questions. Um, how many times do Chazal talk about Masada? Zero. Hmm. Only Josephus, the questionable author, uh, talks about this grand episode that may, may, may or may not have ever happened. Right? Made into a miniseries. And, um, Wait, what? How fast can someone run up Masada? What's that? Yeah, so, so, um, so, right? We, we have, we have our, our man who did brachos, Yossi Goldstone. Right has in my book, I think he has a record. I, I had a student. My the previous record was when I was a Rebbe in the late nineties in OJ, or Yishalayim, and uh, I had a student did it in seventeen minutes. Uh, he's now a, he's now a Kolel man living in Sanhedrin. That same student. Look, it's a plane. It's a bird. It's a bird. It's a plane. Yeah, yeah, it's just a plane. And um, the, the new record is Yossi Goldstone, Shana Dalin. Uh, who did it in 13 minutes. 13. 13 minutes. Wow. Yeah, he's a brick. My year he ran 100 miles. Like, like, like a flying brick uphill. Awesome. Hi, guys. My name is Ani. I'm your new tour guide. Hi, I want to tell you, if you look to your left, this is what's left of Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> We are looking, we're looking, behind me is due north. Um, across the way, you can see the lower reaches of Yam Hamelach, the Dead Sea, which means this is, we are in the area that's just in the south of Eretz Yisrael and arguably just outside biblical border Eretz Yisrael. Um, so on the trail we were saying, you know, if you want to try to dramatize this and picture it, possibly we're near Kadesh or Kadesh Bernay or one of these border locations where, for example, Moshe Rabbeinu sent the 12 spies, the Meraglim, north there to Israel to spy out the country. Um, if you look, check out how well you know your geography. If you look across into what's day, today's Jordan, do you know what is on the other side, that mountain in south, which is just south of Shevet Reuven, outside of what's called Meirli Yardane? Anybody? Natana Lenetsky? Yeah? No, no. Outside of Eretz Yisrael, across the way and down south in that direction, there's a mountain there. Uh, it's a pretty. There's some pretty strong. There's pretty steep hikes. It gets a pretty gets pretty hairy over there. That that was indeed a hint. No, no. Say here. Eitan. Very good. Yeah. Oh, oh no. Harsay. Who is in Harsayir? Asab. The mount, mountain of Asab. Asab's eternal portion oh, where Asab. Oh, you got it. Okay. So that would be Harsayir. 
right? You're looking in what was the biblical border, uh, the Dead Sea. Yama Melech itself was a border between Eretz Yisrael and Meiver Liardin across the Jordan. Um, no, Hargrizim is far north of here. Far north of here. Um, along the Dead Sea and somewhere between here and Yericho, where we began the day, um, would have been the location, and we're not sure where, um, of um, Stom, Amora, Sodom and Gomorrah, the other three cities. Across the way, reasonably, would be the fifth city, Tsoar, uh, one of the three cities that was not damaged in the war. How well do you know this week's Parsha? This week's Parsha, we learned about the four kings versus the five kings. What had happened, um, the Seder Olam, which is the earliest his- one of the early history books, it's Rabbi Yossi ben Chalafta put together the Seder Olam. He recounts that the, four, the um, local five kings were paying tribute to these four rulers who ruled from the east, including, including um, the ruler of Elasar, of Melech Shinar, right? Shinar is Bavel, Kedar Omer, the other, four, the, other, the other kings. And at one point, the five kings rebelled and didn't want to pay their taxes. The four kings came, and four against the five who won... The five. The four. The four. Yeah, you right? The four. You see that pattern repeatedly. Right? It's not, it's against, against the odds. So when the four kings defeated the five, they captured apparently two of them, Stom and Amora, and took all the natives um, captive. Who were among the natives? Lot. Right? Lot. That would be not an Ashkenazifiable uh, word with a tet at the end, a tes at the end. That you could do. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, Lot. Was, uh, was captured, and that's when uh, Avram went quite literally ballistic and, uh, and went, on a, 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 and went after the them and fought the four kings, defeated them soundly. He chased them Adan uh, and further north, uh, way to the north of the country, and ultimately took them down. With one person. Ah, so according to one shot, the Medra says, with Eliezer in Gematria 318. What? Yeah. So, listen to the Ramban on the Parsha. The Ramban says... Um, the four kings come to signify anybody? The four different Google four weathers. The Dalid Malchios, the four kingdoms. What are the four kingdoms in history? Um, Edom, starting with Bavel. Go in order. Bavel, Prasumadai. What is that? That's Persia and Media. That's one. That's one. The four kingdoms in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that's interpreted by Daniel, who later has a dream of the same nature. Bavel, Prasumadai, Greece. And those are the three mentioned explicitly in Daniel. The fourth is not mentioned, but it's understood as Edom. That's either um, that's Rome and or Ishmael, the Christians, the Muslims. Um, it's the four kingdoms of the end of time. Why would Edom be Ishmael? Uh, that's we learn in a few weeks. We'll see that Magdiel, one of the descendants of, of, of Esav, would be the Aluf, the general in Edom. And Edom, Edom is red. But how is Ishmael? Uh, how is, I'm sorry, Ishmael with Edom, they're combined in many ways. Uh, Kabbalistically as well, they're the two Klipos, two of the three Klipos. Um, so it, what you see in Parsha is a reenactment of all of history. A, con- a con- condensed and early stage of it, Maisa Avos Simon Labanim. Um, you see what happens, and at the end of the parsha too, um, when Avram falls into a deep sleep, the Ramban counts the adjectives that describes he fell deeper. It went darker. It went very dark, and it goes in four stages, paralleling the four stages of darkness of our extended what was exile. The final one. Um, the final one, Avram takes them down and comes out of his sleep in the later part of the parsha, and then he takes out the four kings, and that's the Melech Mashiach coming and taking out all the four predecessors and 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 uh, subduing them and uh, prevailing. 
Yeah. So in this part of the country, you can reenact and, and, and imagine all of this and more.